Revelation 11, verses 1 through 15. Then I was given a measuring rod, like a staff, and I was told, rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and those who worship there, but do not measure the court outside the temple. Leave that out, for it is given over to the nations, and they will trample the holy city for 42 months. And I will grant authority to my witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1,260 days, clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. And if anyone would harm them, fire pours from their mouth and consumes their foes. If anyone would harm them, this is how he is doomed to be killed. They have the power to shut the sky that no rain may fall during the days of their prophesying. And they have the power over the waters to turn them into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they desire. And when they have finished their testimony, the beast that rises from the bottomless pit will make war on them and conquer them and kill them. And their dead bodies will lie in the streets of the great city that symbolically is called Sodom and Egypt where the Lord was crucified. For three and a half days, some of the peoples and tribes and languages and nations will gaze at their dead bodies and refuse to let them be placed in a tomb. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them and make merry and exchange presents because these two prophets had been a torment to those who dwell on the earth. But after the three and a half days, a breath of life from God entered them and they stood up on their feet and great fear fell on those who saw them. Then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying, come up here. And they went up to heaven in a cloud and their enemies watched them. And at that hour, there was a great earthquake and a tenth of the city fell. 7,000 people were killed in the earthquake and the rest were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. The second woe has passed, behold, the third woe is soon to come. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Noah. Noah was ready to read on Sunday morning, but... You did a great job on Tuesday night, buddy. I mean, Noah, you just read about a temple that, uh, that we're going to get into, two witnesses, a beast, and, uh, and then a few people repenting. And so we are, we're like deep in the heart of the book of Revelation. If you were listening to that and you were thinking, I just wanted some advice tonight about X, Y, or Z, and none of that had to do with anything I needed advice on. Just hang on. It's amazing how the Word of God can speak to you right where you are, especially when you go and you look for what, what is the Lord up to. It's amazing how He can readjust your life through His Word without flipping in the back of your book and saying, okay, what does the concordance say is a verse for this situation? It's just it's uncanny how often God can talk to you that way. Uh, quick little commercial break, 
If you haven't filled out one of these cards for us, we would love to connect with you. They're over at the table on the way out. I'm doing this now because I'd rather do this on the front end than on the back end. Uh, and so we've got these cards. We'd love to connect with you. Um, it helps us get to know you a little bit. You also can put in there like, hey, I'm not in a group and I would love to be in a group. Or we've got some new groups rolling. They're going great. We'll have more coming down the pipe. So we'd love to just be able to connect with you. Fill that out. Saturday is going to be a ball. We're going to have a great time. I have no idea what's going to happen. I'm going to make sure the yard is like all cut and, uh, and, and Heather and I will be there. But other than that, it's a surprise to us too. We're going to have a great time. And if you're like, I don't want to do field games, don't do them, but come anyway and just hang out. It'll be a few hours of you getting to just like hang with each other, which will be nice. If you're like, I can only come for two hours, come for two hours. It's going to be awesome. So be sure to sign up for that. And, uh, and big shout out to Noel, who was up here uh, doing the announcements, and then Sarah Carroll and the whole rest of the party planning crew who have been putting this together. We're grateful for you. Let me, uh, let me dig in, and, uh, and we're going to get rolling. We're going to cover a bunch of ground tonight. We are in the heart of the book of Revelation. We're going to get to the very dead center of it when the night is over, and we're going to start to kind of plumb the depths. We are in deep water here. This is like... This is, this is deep water territory of the book of Revelation, and I think you're going to start to see God's grand plan unfold. So let me pray for us. Father, I ask that you would speak through me tonight, speak through your word. Lord, would you move in a powerful way as we conclude the evening with worship? Lord, would you just move in our hearts? I ask that you would just give us the, the wherewithal to lay our concerns before you. And as you're sitting here listening to that prayer, go ahead, just tell the Lord a few things that you've got on your mind. Just lay them at his feet right now. Lord, would you capture our hearts? Let us know which side of the great tribulation we'll be on, Lord. Will we be the conquerors or will we, will we be the conquered Lord, would you help us to, to align with the Lamb by your grace? Would you move in this place tonight as we cover a bunch of ground in the final book you gave us? It's in Jesus' name I pray, Lord. Amen. So we're covering parts of multiple chapters. So go ahead and open to Revelation chapter 8. The last time we were together two weeks ago, we finished the the last of the seals that was opened, that seal ends in verse 5, and now we're going to go to trumpets. There's going to be seven of those. Don't worry, you don't have to understand what I'm talking about. I'm just going to tell you where we're going. We're going to very, very, very briefly look at the trumpets. Most of those are outlined in chapter 9. Chapter 10, we're basically going to skip over, not because it's not important. Some people would call chapter 10 one of the most comforting chapters in the New Testament. So I would challenge you to go back and take a look at chapter 10. And then we're going to land the plane with a passage that Noah talked about, which is an interlude. It's this chapter 11. It stands out. It's unique. And there are some of those woven into this book. Um, whereas like if you read the book of, of Romans, it, it builds. It's like a math class. If you didn't take the first class, you're not going to understand the second class. But if you took the first class, the second class will come a little easier than the third, than the fourth. It's just a building block one upon the other. And it flows very naturally. This book is more 
uh, poetic and apocalyptic and filled with Old Testament references. And so there is some jumping around in this book and there's these interlude moments and that's what we're going to end on in chapter 11. So let's, uh, let's, let's take a look. Have you ever prayed the prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? Anybody, show of hands, prayed that prayer before. Yeah, I, I like, like we've, I've told you before, my old football coach, we used to pray that prayer and then he would cuss a bunch and tell us to go, you know, do bad things to the other team. Um, like it didn't, didn't totally seem like it worked, but it was kind of a good luck charm. So he would toss that in there. We lost a lot of games. It didn't work. Um, maybe that was God's kingdom coming um, against us. And so anyway, what we're going to see here is really God beginning to usher in his kingdom on earth. And so what you need to understand is what you are sitting on, the ground below the cement, all of this is temporary. This will one day pass away. And so this, this is, and when this passes away, there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. And that is what you all signed up for, by the way. If you believe in Jesus being resurrected from the dead, him being the one thing that can pardon your sins, you, you agreed to this idea. You just didn't know you agreed to this full idea. But this is part of the idea that what we have here is temporary. And God is going to usher in a new heaven and a new earth and we will be a part of that new heaven and new earth, but he's going to have to do that, and it's going to be pretty violent the way that it happens. And so what we're going to do tonight is we're going to go back and forth a little bit in this first part um, between like the, some of the things that happened in the Old Testament, some of the things that happened in the New Testament. But what we have here, we have seven trumpets because there were seven seals on this seal, and if you didn't listen two weeks ago, I'll try to make this make sense. God the Father is holding a scroll in his hand in the opening chapters of Revelation. No one can open the scroll. It has these seven wax seals on it. No one can open the scroll. But then everybody cries out, there is one who is worthy to open the scroll, and it's Jesus. But Jesus is pictured in this moment as a lamb who was slain but is alive. And so if you imagine a, a lamb whose neck is cut open, because that's how you would kill a lamb, its neck is cut open, it has blood on it, but it is alive. The lamb comes and opens the scroll, and we get this picture of what each of these seals are as they come off the scroll. And that is the beginning of God shaking the world, trying to wake us up. And so we talked about how the world has, is dozed off, and it's been dozed off for a long time. And you know that because at one point you yourself were asleep if you're in Christ, and the Lord woke you up. He shook you one day, whether it was in a college dorm, whether it was in second grade Sunday school, or, or whether it was last week or tonight, you realized you were asleep, and the Lord shook you and woke you up. And so these seals are chances for people on earth to wake up and see God. But the problem is, most of the time when something bad happens, people grit their teeth and they clench their fist and they make themselves more stalwart and they're going to say, no, we can push through this thing. And then they resent God who was trying to wake them up because everything God does is with love and it is with righteousness, he's always 100% both of those things as he carries out his acts. So what we have is the, in, in chapter 8, verse 6, 
is we have this last seal that's been opened, and that seal is going to reveal these seven trumpets. So I'm just going to read this to you. Chapter 8, verse 6. Now the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. The first angel blew his trumpet, and there followed hail and fire mixed with blood. And these were thrown upon the earth, and a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees and a th were burned up, and all the grass was burned up. And so we have this, this first seal or this first trumpet that's blown. Things are going to get more intense. In fact, I've got a, a graph, I think. Let me just show you the, the chart. Not a graph, it's a chart. With both the, uh, the seals and the trumpets side by side. There should be one in the slides. There we go, perfect. So these seven seals are what we went over a couple of weeks ago. The first one was conquest. The second one was war. The third one's famine. The fourth one was death and pestilence. That's the pale horse uh, whose rider was named death and hell followed with him. Um, then the saints under the altar, the earthquake, the sun darkened, silence. Now these second set, the seven trumpets are going to come out of this seventh seal. And so you see God is trying to wake everybody up with these first six things that happen. The seventh seal is going to open these seven trumpets, and he's trying even harder to wake people up. And so we have in these, you're going to see things that represent the 10 plagues of Egypt. I'll just give you a couple. There's hail. Well, that's in the 10 plagues. Um, the water polluted, that's in the 10 plagues. The sky getting darkened, that's in the 10 plagues. Locust, that's in the 10 plagues. The angel who kills, that is in the 10 plagues. So, in the, so what we see here is a direct tie-in to the 10 plagues of Egypt. Now, pause, look at me. What happened in each of those plagues were the people like, oh, this is the real God, let's follow him. Is that what the Egyptians did? No, every time there was a plague, they hardened their hearts, and it's capitalized by Pharaoh. It says he hardened his heart. And so what we're going to see in most of these seals as, or, or these trumpets as they come on is that people's hearts are going to become harder and harder and harder. And we see that in our own friends and family. You see hard times come into their life, and you start to pray for them, and you think maybe this will wake them up. And unfortunately, so often, we see people's hearts grow harder and harder and harder. And so, let's just quickly run through these very, very briefly. So, then the second angel in verse 8, he's going to blow his trumpet. Um, uh, this big burning mountain thing, I'm not sure what it is. I do think this is literal and descriptive at the same time. There is something that's got fire on it that's going to come into a sea, and a third of the sea is going to become blood, which means a third of the creatures in the sea are going to die, and a third of the ships are going to be destroyed. And so what we see is a major calamity that happens in the oceans. You can imagine if a worldwide calamity that happened in what covers three-fourths of the globe were to happen, people would then get very panicked. And hopefully somebody would raise their hand and say, is God behind this? Well, then the third angel is going to blow his trumpet and a star is going to fall from heaven. This is where the famous wormwood comes from. If you're a C.S. Lewis fan, you're, you're like, antennas should be going off. You're like, wormwood, I've heard of wormwood. This is where wormwood comes from. So now not just the salt waters, but now the rivers and the streams and the springs are going to become poisoned. And so then the fourth angel is going to blow his trumpet, and a third of the sun is going to be struck. Listen to how this reads. 
A third, I'm in verse 12, the fourth angel blew his trumpet and a third of the sun was struck and a third of the moon and a third of the stars so that a third of the night might be darkened and a third of the day might be kept from shining and likewise a third of the night. What does it look like if a third of the night is dark? Like the night's already dark. It's like extra dark. I don't know if you know this, but I did a little homework. How long would it take before people were really uncomfortable if the sun stopped shining? In about seven days, the whole globe goes to zero degrees. The whole globe. And so you're not just inconvenienced here, you're cold. Now you can imagine, if that happened today, well, maybe not today, we wouldn't notice it as much, but if we woke up in the morning, we were like, it's not as bright as it should be. And why do I need my jacket? Yesterday I needed like, you know, my t-shirt. What, what is happening? What, what would most of the world do? Most of the world would not fill churches and start to pray. Most of the world would get together and say, who are our best and brightest scientists? And how do we fix this? For every one of these things, we as a people all over the world would turn immediately to ourselves and say, how do we fix this? And the Lord, the Lord is calling the folks. Now, I believe that these have not happened yet. I think some of the, the seals have happened and are happening, but these are, we have yet to see. You might can convince me otherwise, but that's just how I'm reading this. And I just don't, I mean, I have not seen the sun go dark for a long period of time. So I think these things are yet to happen. But when they do happen, we'll be on like iPhone 27 or something. Like it'll, it'll, it'll know who you want to call and it'll just call them. You'll be like, oh, I just thought about you. My phone's ringing. Like, it, like the world will be even more sophisticated. We'll be much less likely to be dependent on the Lord showing up. And so we go, the fourth angel's gonna blow his trumpet. We already read that one. Um, then I looked and I heard an eagle crying. Now we get to verse 13 and something interesting happens. Then I looked and I heard an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead. Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell in the earth at the blast of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. Now, this is interesting. Again, this is a very Hebrew kind of book. When you think about Isaiah 6, holy, holy, holy. When, they, when a, a person who is familiar with Hebrew would, would write down a word once, it meant it's true. When they wrote down a word twice, sometimes it meant it wasn't true. It was in question. But when you write down a word three times, back to back to back, there is no truth greater. And so the world has become a really hard place to live in at this point. Think about like Cormac McCarthy, The Road, if any of you saw that. If any of you were like, you know, like any of the zombie apocalypse movies. Or, um, or what's the one where you can't talk because they can hear you and they'll eat you? A quiet place, that's right, yes. Yes, it, think about the world in those kinds of places. Like, like I, I had a, okay, this is a side note. I had a college pastor one time, and 
he, uh, he was real into movies, and he started making movies. Um, it's, it's one of the Kendrick brothers. If you've ever seen any, the, all the Kendrick's films are designed to, you know, stir your heart, make you cry, think about Jesus. Um, and so one of the Kendrick brothers said to me one time, he said, Thomas, when you read apocalyptic literature and you see the demons and the way they play out, you see the way the world looks when it's broken and corrupted and when God casts these judgments upon the world, he said, can you think of a Hollywood scene that looks like these? I'm like, yeah, I could probably think of a Hollywood scene that looks like every one of these trumpets blowing. And he said, I think, and this is just his conviction, he said, I think that people have opened themselves up to so much satanic lure and appeal that they have, I, they've desensitized themselves, opened themselves up, and they have been able to create these worlds that desensitize us to this, to where we look at it and we're like, that can't really happen. Or if it did happen, like, we would probably just justify it, scoot it out of the way, say that's not of God, that's not God casting judgment, that's just, like, things that happen. And the more I've thought about that, that was 20 years ago, the more I'm like, I think he's probably right. I think we have become so desensitized that when we see these things, the first thing we do is think, how can I fix it? And maybe the last thing on the list is, God, where are you? But this angel, in the form of an eagle, flies over and cries with a loud voice. Woe, woe, woe. These three woes mean that the world has never been worse than it's about to get. And you got to remember, the whole reason that God stirs up judgment and releases it on the earth is to draw people out of their sleep and wake them up to respond to him. Because all the good things and the kind things and all those other things that have happened didn't do it. And so maybe you should just pause right there. If you've hit dead end after dead end after dead end. Sometimes it's not just bad luck. Sometimes it is the Lord shaking you and waking you. And sometimes trying harder isn't the thing. Sometimes it's falling on your knees and saying, Lord, are you trying to get my attention? Is there something you're trying to show me here? And it's a fine line because sometimes being a Christian is the grittiest thing you can do and you just have to go and go and go in the name of the Lord as hard as you can go for him in his strength. And other times, it's him saying, stop. I'm putting all these things in your path to wake you. And so we have these, these first four trumpets. And then in chapter 9, we're going to have the fifth trumpet blow. And this trumpet actually gets the longest amount of attention. And this trumpet has been described as Apache helicopters. It's been described as, uh, as the stealth bomber. It's been described as, I don't know what it was described back in World War II, but it's been described as all kinds of things. So I just wanted you to take a look at this fifth trumpet that's blown. And the fifth trumpet, and the fifth angel blew his trumpet, and I saw a star from heaven I saw a star fall from heaven to earth, 
and he was given the keys to the shaft of the bottomless pit. So this star that fell is actually a being because it's a he. So this star is an angel, and this angel falls to earth, meaning it's a fallen angel, and he has the keys to the shaft of the bottomless pit. And smoke rises from this pit like a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened with the smoke from the shaft. And then the smoke came, and then from the smoke came locusts on the earth. And they were given power like the power of scorpions of the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree, but only those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. Then in verse 7, he describes the appearance of the locusts. The appearance of the locusts were like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were what looked like crowns of gold, and on their faces were like human faces, and their hair like a woman's hair, and their teeth like a lion's teeth. And they had breastplates like, and they had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the noise of their wings was like the noise of many chariots with horses rushing into battle. They have tails and sting like scorpions, and their power to hurt people for five months is in their tails. And they have as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and his name in Greek is Apollyon. The first woe has passed. Behold, two woes are still to come. Now, this, this demon, scorpion, locust thing, I believe there will come a point when God says no more of the natural disasters because people keep questioning, well, this can't be God. This is just science. Like the star fell from the sky and it hit the oceans and it contaminated the oceans. Oh, well, this other thing hit the, the freshwater and it contaminated the freshwater. Uh, and so now we're getting into things that are even more hard to explain away. There's a demonic oppression that will come over the earth in this fifth trumpet. And people will beg to die, but they won't be able to die. Now, you got to ask, why would God keep them going? Well, I think it's because God is trying to wake them up still. And so you've got this demonic oppression, and they ha they're given human characteristics. One of the reasons I don't think it's like an Apache helicopter or something is, um, one, because uh, that's just strange to me, but two, um, they're given like human and animal characteristics. I think you would get much more metallic characteristics if it was something man-made. I think this is demonic locust plague that comes on the people to wake the people up, and the one who is, who is in control of this is this demon called Abaddon or Apollyon, which is the destroyer. Now, in the next couple of weeks, we're going to get into a little bit more of who these, these creatures are. But the warning is, this is just the first woe. There are still two to come. And then this sixth angel is going to blow his trumpet. And there's from the four horns of the golden altar before the Lord, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. And these angels are going to come. And there's just four of them, but they're going to come. And they're going to come with, well, actually going to come with some others. And they're going to kill a third of the earth. And so now we have just utter desecration on the earth. And it has become more and more apparent in God's judgment. Listen to me here. 
you have the seven seals and then the seven trumpets. Then we're going to have the seven bowls of wrath. And what happens every time? It becomes more and more and more clear. This is God's hand. Not bad luck, not science, not, not a glitch in the computer system. This is God's hand coming down on the people. There's a teaching moment right there. There are times that you're like, man, I think I ought to do that thing, or I think I ought to quit doing that thing. And like, it's just a thought. And then it becomes more and more and more clear. That was the Lord telling you that. Like by the end, you might as well drive by and see it on like billboards on your way home. You're like, that is clearly God talking to me. I get it. And you would think at this point that people would be like, this is clearly God. I remember like my next door neighbor coming home from church telling me about the Revelation study and like weird demon locust and I just saw one flying by. Like you would think like at some point people would be like, this must be the hand of God. Maybe I could repent and go back to him. But look at verses 20 and 21. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues, did not repent of the works of their hands, nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood, which cannot see or hear or walk. Nor did they repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. Let me just show you these five things up on a slide. I think I've got all five of these listed that are thrown up here. There should be idol worship, murder, sorcery, Im sexual immorality, and theft. Okay, I didn't see murder last night, but a few months ago, about eight months ago, I mentioned the Met Gala, and the Met Gala was last night. And I have, I have a wife who likes fashion, and the Met Gala we watched a little bit of on E, although the sound was very choppy. Um, but we were watching the Met Gala. If you don't know what the Met Gala is, that's okay. Uh, but, I mean... It is like, um, what's the place they go in the Hunger Games? The Capitol. It's like, it's like an episode of the Capitol. Like, you're like watching the Capitol. You're like, does this really exist? Like, and so you listen to people get interviewed. And I did not see murder, but I'm pretty sure I saw everything else last night, except, well, maybe not theft, but I don't know what happened behind the scenes. Uh, we live in a world that already loves all these things. And you're like, well, we don't love murder. Well, Jesus gave us some clarity on that in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, when you have hatred in your heart towards one another, you have murder. We love murder. We just like it when somebody else does it. Idol worship? You're like, Thomas, we don't make like little wooden carved images. Well, we don't make as many of those in America, but um, I've seen a few in the parking lot um, I've seen a few on your LinkedIn profiles. Like, we have some idols. Some of you feel like if you just could find that significant person, your whole life would be complete. Therefore, they are an idol. Like, we love some idols. Sorcery. I'm telling you, there was sorcery talked about at the Met Gala last night. And you think, well, that's just not in my world. It's around you, I promise you. It's if I get my hope and my power from anything other than the Lord, that is a demonic source. That is a type of sorcery. Sexual immorality, 
I mean, we need to like, this is why we need to be so clear on why we believe what we believe. And like that we believe that God made a man and he made a woman and they go together. And like, that's just how it is. And the reason we believe that is because we believe that when God made man and woman, he made himself into, he, he put his image into both of us because a man alone couldn't fully bear the image of God and a woman alone couldn't fully bear the image of God. And when you put them both together, they can bear the image of God. The whole thing goes back to this divine consummation. It's not about like pleasure and procreation. It's about the, the design that God had in store to best illustrate and support who he is. And then theft, we're always like taking things, ideas, time, attention. There's all kinds of ways that we imbibe ourselves with theft. But this is what they traded God for. They've had death. They've had destruction. They've had flying demon locusts. They've had water polluted. They've had animals killed. They've had it all. And they would rather have these things than him. And for you and I tonight, that's a great teaching point and application. Is there anything you'd rather have than him? And if I were to write it down and show it to the whole crew, would it seem a little bit silly that you would rather have that than him? Because when I look at this list, I'm like, really, those are the things you want other than him? The one who offers you peace and life and hope and an eternal existence and a new heaven and a new earth, not this thing that's rotting away. Like, what is it that's so great compared to him? And then we get to chapter 10. And chapter 10 is a fascinating chapter. And there's this angel who comes down and he puts one foot on the land and one foot in the ocean and he can stand there without his socks even getting wet. And chapter 10 is put in here to show us, I think the Lord wanted us to see in all the chaos and all the heartache and all the misery of people continuing to turn their heart against God that God's still in control and he's still in charge. And I won't go through hardly anything in this chapter. I will read verse 7. It says, But in the days of the trumpet call to be sounded by the seventh angel, the mystery of God will be fulfilled, just as he announced to his servants the prophets. This angel comes out, and the angel says to John, who has this revelation, John, don't worry. It's all going to make sense, and God is in control, and he does have a plan, and it's good, and it's trustworthy. Just hang in there as you receive the rest of this vision. And then there's chapter 11, the interlude. And we're going to see something fascinating here. John is given a measuring rod, like a staff. And he's told to rise and measure the temple of God and the altar of those who worship there. Now, this is interesting because... This is where people, people divide. I've been, I've been like a really good boy, and I have not gone into all the things that would, we would like get on each side of the room if we believe this or that. I've kept this at such a high level. But this one's interesting because I think this whole chapter seems to take place in Jerusalem. 
And I've tried to read it 10 different other ways, but it just seems like this whole chapter takes place in Jerusalem. And there's some folks who would argue strongly against that. And so that being the case, you can just take it for what it's worth. It seems to me this whole chapter takes place in Jerusalem, though. And he goes and he measures a temple. Now, the temple that he measures could be the people because we are called the temple of God. So maybe he measures like how many Christians are left in the world. Or he measures a literal temple that's in Jerusalem where worship uh, is happening. And that worship, however, is is not necessarily honoring to God at this point in time. And then he says, but do not measure the court outside the temple. Leave that out, for it is given over to the nations, for they will trample the holy city for 42 months. So for three and a half years, Jerusalem is going to get trampled. That's why it was such a big deal that in the 1960s, Israel came about as a nation because then Jerusalem became a thing and then like the, the then you could read this and you could say, oh, this is fascinating. Whereas people in years past would read the book of Revelation and they would say, well, there is no Israel. There is no Jerusalem. There's no, there's no nothing to make this make sense anymore. I mean, Jerusalem was still there, but it was like not the same as it is now. And so people would read this and they would, they would make sense of it a different way. We have an Israel and a Jerusalem. And so... What happens is Jerusalem's going to get trampled for three and a half years. And something fascinating is going to happen. Verse 3, and I will grant authority to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. Now, this is also interesting. Some people would say these two witnesses are two literal people. It would be Elijah and Moses come back from the dead. Now, why would it be Elijah and Moses? Well, Moses represents the Torah, the law, the instruction, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And Elijah represents the whole rest of the Old Testament. When Jesus was transfigured, he called back two people, Moses and Elijah. Like some of you have glazed over looks right now. Don't worry, it's okay. Uh, and so some people, though, would say this is not two literal people. This is, this is two branches of the church. And the reason they would say it's two branches of the church is because of verse 4. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. If you go all the way back to the first part of Revelation, you have these lampstands, seven lampstands that stand before the Lord. Each one of those lampstands represents a church. So whether it's Moses and Elijah or whether it's two churches, sects of church, either way, we we'll, one day we'll know. But either way, here's what's going to happen. Uh, so these, these two witnesses are going to stand before the Lord of the earth, and if anyone would harm them, fire pours from their mouth and consumes their foes. If anyone would harm them, this is how he is doomed to be killed. Now, the church just got rad, right? Like, we're like these pushovers all the time, and now all of a sudden we speak, and we're like, <laughs> like fire, fire's coming out. I just want to try it once, you know, just on like, that one person. Um, I'm just kidding. Uh, actually, I had just thought of a person. That's terrible. Uh, and so I'm just kidding again. Uh, but so fire pours out of their mouth and consumes their foes. Now, is this literal fire? It could be literal fire. And if so, I hope I'm with the Lord in heaven and I can watch this. It could be literal fire, but it could also be the word of God that comes out of their mouth and condemns the people who are already in their sin and they are doomed. Either way, it's bad news to go against these two witnesses. Now, let me just ask you, if this is the church, if this were to happen like in the next two months, 
how well would we do giving an answer for the Lord and standing up for him? I feel like so many of the Christians I know, as soon as they hear something that's secular, their first thought is, how can I fit the gospel into that? How can I squish down the truth of God into this idea that's secular so that like maybe they'll like me a little bit more? And the reality is we should take every idea and hold it up to the truth of God and see if it fits at all. And if it doesn't, then it doesn't. But instead, we try to smush the truth of God into the world, and it looks like just this mess. These witnesses are the real deal. They have been tested in the fire. They know who their Savior is. They know who bought them with a price. And they love him more than they love the approval of people. And they also have the power, verse 6, to shut the sky so that no rain may fall during the days of their prophesying. And they have power over the waters to turn them into the blood and strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they desire. This, again, is why some people would say this is Moses and Elijah. Moses had the power to call in the plagues. Elijah had the power in prayer to stop the rain from coming. But either way, God could transfer that onto churches, two churches. So these two witnesses have this incredible power, power that we haven't seen since the Old Testament. And verse 7. I mean, these guys are like untouchable. And when they finished their testimony... The beast that rises from the bottomless pit will make war on them and conquer them and kill them. Now, it just doesn't seem fair. Like, when will the good guys win? When will people see that, like, what you've been believing and what you've been holding on to and why you've adjusted your life, when are they going to see that, like, it's all worth it? If anybody... These folks have gone through the tribulation. They are like, they are like in the, the, the throes of it. And then they get killed by this beast. And by the way, we're going to get into the beast next week, and you're going to see who the beast is over the next couple of weeks and what does this look like. Um, and then verse 8. And Noah was reading this earlier. And their dead bodies are going to lie in this great street that symbolically is called Sodom in Egypt, where their Lord was crucified. So in the streets of Jerusalem, these bodies are going to lie. And there will be carnage. Now, in the Middle East, you have to bury someone the same day. It's very important that you do this. You don't leave anybody on the streets you get their bodies quickly and you put them in the grave. Think about Jesus on the cross. It was a feast weekend, a holiday weekend, and they still, as soon as they took Jesus on the cross, they had to get him in the tomb before sunset. You don't leave people in the streets in the Middle East. And so, not only do they leave him in the street, for three and a half days, some of the peoples and tribes and languages and nations will gaze at their dead bodies and refuse to let them be placed in a tomb. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them and they will make merry and exchange presents because these two prophets had been a torment 
to those who dwell on the earth. But after three and a half days, a breath of life from God entered them, and they stood up on their feet, and great fear fell on those who saw them. And when they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, come up here, they went up to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies watched them. Verse 13, and at that hour, there was a great earthquake, and a tenth of the city fell. 7,000 people were killed in the earthquake, and the rest were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. What is the difference between what happened in Revelation 9, 20, and 21? Those five things that everybody held on to instead of turning to God. And what happened right here? This is the first time in a long time we've seen someone repent and give glory to God in this book. The enemies fell to the grace of God just like you and I fell to the grace of God. These two witnesses are just like Christ. What did they do? They proclaimed the sin of the people. What did Jesus do to you? When he met you, he wasn't like, oh, you're so good. He was like, there's this thing, and there's this thing, and there's this thing, and you're like, this hurts. It says they were a torment to the people. Jesus does that all the time to us. He convicts us and he points out sin and he calls us to holiness and he convicts us and he hurts us and he cuts us with a good cut. But what did Jesus also do? He also died and laid dead for three days and we're the ones that killed him. And then he raises again. And we in awe do one of two things. We get swallowed up in the earthquake because we weren't going to believe. Or we repent. And we say like the centurion who watched Jesus die in Matthew 27, 54, he said, surely this was the Son of God. Do you know how the enemies of God become not enemies but friends of God? It's when you and I die to ourselves. When we die to ourselves and fully live for him, we become a modern day two witnesses. We call out sin. We tell people the truth. But we also let them know that our lives matter not to us as long as their lives can matter to God. Let me read you a very famous verse. This is Jesus in the book of Matthew, and this is what he says. He says, don't think that I've come to bring peace on the earth. And now that we've been studying Revelation, you can see this. Don't think that I've come to bring peace on the earth. I haven't come to bring peace but a sword. For I've come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. 
And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. And whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. We came to God because Jesus lost his life for our sake. These people in the great city of Jerusalem came to God because those witnesses lost their lives for the Lord and for those people. My challenge for you tonight is to stop hanging on to this stuff so much around us. It's all going away. And the things of God are what's going to be left. Tonight's a great night to let go of some of me. Hold on tight to the Lord and ask him how you can die to yourself so that others might live as they see Christ in you. The lamb who was slain but is alive. Let me pray for us. Father, I ask that as we come through the halfway point of the book of Revelation, and we've seen some things that are confusing and some things that are hard to understand, Lord, help us to also see some things that are really clear and really easy to get. Lord, we finally see repentance in this book because two people acted like you, and they laid their life down for their enemies. Lord, you laid your life down for us while we were enemies. Help us, Lord, to respond with thankful hearts. And may we lay our lives down for you that others might know you. Lord, move in this time of worship. Convict our hearts in a powerful, special way. And may we respond with a yes. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.